0: This week on The Pressure Cast, Xbox announces a Netflix for games, Twitch becomes a games retailer, and PlayStation sells over 900,000 VR headsets. It's Monday, May 6, 2017. Everything happening in the world of video games is here, now on The Pressure Cast. Hey, hey, Pressure Pals, welcome to the 171st episode of Pressure Cast, VideoGamesAreDumb.com's weekly news panic that posts every single Monday on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn Radio, Google Play Music. And America's longest running independent newspaper at shepherdexpress.com. My name is Colin Tanner and I am caffeinated, so caffeinated, and right around with you about some gosh darn video games. And what a week it has been. Horizon Zero Dawn came out. I reviewed it. You can check out their review at YouTube.com slash video games are dumb. It's a good game and it has lots of pretty graphics, so you want to see it in video form. And uh, also, uh, what else happened? I think like something happened on Friday. Oh, that's right, the Nintendo Switch came out and we have a brand new Zelda game. I'm working on that review right now. There is so much going on. I'm tired, I'm beaten down. I I don't know if I can do this whole pressure Cast thing this week, I'm kidding, I'm feeling good because I played a lot of good games this week. If you never listened to the pressure cast before, each week the pressure cast slices up the latest video game news, past, present and future and slices it up into several sensational segments and jams it right in your ears in two hours or less. I kind of slurred my words there. Did you notice? I think you did. If you want to contact the Pressure Cast, you can email pressurecast at gmail.com. You can call or text 954-947-7377, or you can even tweet at VGA Dumb, or leave a message on the Facebook, which is facebook.com slash VGA Dumb. That, of course, stands for Video Games Are Dumb, Wow, that was a lot. That was a lot to get through. But we're not over yet. No no no. This is actually just the beginning of the podcast, so let's get on the train. Chugga chug chug chug. Here comes the train. Tooty toot toot. Boop boop. That's right, it's time for the hype train. Feel the PR vibrations as we barrel towards video game satisfaction station on the hype train. This is the Pio Show. Where we talk about all those upcoming video games and events to get you hyped up to spend your money and become a video game guru. We are gonna be starting off with some Xbox news, but rather than just having you know me introduce this first story, I think we should go to the voicemails that we got this week. Keon called in with a question. Without further ado, take it away, Keon. This is Keon calling from Baltimore. Man, oh man, Microsoft actually announced that they are coming out with a Netflix gaming model where they will be offering... Over a hundred games every month. For nine ninety nine a month, you obviously any game player is gonna think, well that is somewhat comparable to PlayStation now. And if they are switching out the games and putting in new games, I think this could be a runaway success. Do you think that this could hit the mainstream? And with that being said, you take care and have a good one, brother bye Keon, thank you for the voicemail. It's true. Xbox now has a Netflix for games, and Keon is hyped about it. But how will this compare to PlayStation Now? And exactly who is this for? Well, before we get to that, let's get into all of the details. Earlier this week, Microsoft announced their new monthly subscription service called Xbox Game Pass. For $10 a month, users will receive quote unlimited access to over 100 great xbox one and xbox 360 titles including fan favorites like halo 5 guardians payday 2 nba 2k 16 and lego batman and with new titles added every month you'll always have a wide selection of great games to choose from download games directly to your console and play online or offline in full fidelity without any streaming or connectivity issues Huh, I wonder what they're referring to there. <laughs> Save 20% on Xbox One game purchases and 10% on all related add-ons, but only while the base game is currently in the catalog, end quote. Uh, worth noting, games will be in rotation, much like Netflix. Sometimes you'll be able to play one game, and then the next month they'll remove it, so... You know, it's not like things are going to be permanent additions like Games with Gold or uh, PlayStation Now or even the EA Vault. Uh, Speaking with Kotaku, an Xbox representative stressed Game Pass will not be replacing Games with Gold and an Xbox Live Gold subscription is not required. Xbox Game Pass will launch sometime in spring later this year. So... I've been seeing a lot of people online going, why? Well, what is this? What is this for? Who needs this? Especially if you buy an Xbox at launch, you've already got a collection of games. And and the games they're announcing, it's like Halo 5 Guardians, Mega Man Legacy Collection, you know, some random NBA games. Why would I ever want that? Here's the thing. It's not for you. There are two different types of console features. The ones that retain users, the ones that encourage users to be engaged with their console, and there are recruitment uh, uh, features, and this is a recruitment feature. This is for people that do not own an Xbox One. Think about this for just one moment. If you're a dude that's just like, ah, you know, I kind of want to play some games. I want to get one of them new whiz consoles, but I don't know, you know what to get. I don't know if, what games are good, blah, blah, blah. If you can walk into a retailer, drop $300 on a console, and then just spend, spend, spend $10 and get access to over 100 games, That's a great idea. That's a great deal. That's what this is for. This is for people that do not own an Xbox and basically it's saying, hey, you know what? Just, Just buy our console, throw us $10. You have a library. You have a library of great games. And these aren't, you know, just small titles. This is Halo, the latest Halo. And for users that maybe have been out of the loop, that's a big deal for them. They know Halo. Halo is a very popular game, even though Halo 5 had a mixed reception, blah, 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 blah. So overall, that's incredibly smart. But let's talk about this for a second because, you know, the the, the elephant in the room is PlayStation Now. Let's compare and contrast PlayStation Now. In case you don't know, PlayStation Now is the Sony subscription service, which is $20 a month. Or instead of $10 a month with Microsoft, think about that for a moment, $20 a month. Uh, It does not have PlayStation 4 games. It only has PlayStation 3 games, but you play those games on your PlayStation 4 or your PC. That's all it's available for. It's not available on phones or televisions. They're ending that service. So, for 20 bucks a month, you can play all these PS3 games, and it streams. You're not downloading the games. It's streaming directly to you, and there's going to be a little bit of input lag. And, you know, if you don't have particularly good internet, you're going to have some issues here. And then you've got Xbox over here, which is like, whatever, 10 bucks a month. We're cheaper. Though, technically, PlayStation Now does offer a annual subscription for $100, which more or less breaks down to a little bit less than $9 a month. So... You know, there is uh, a, a deal there for you. But while they only have PlayStation 3 games, uh, over here on Xbox, it's Xbox One titles. It's, th- it's the latest console titles here. And they've said this is not replacing Xbox Live games with gold. You're not gonna need an Xbox Live subscription. This is just for new users. And it's also you know worth considering that these are going after very different markets in the long run. Uh, PlayStation Now, I'm not sure who that's for yet. I, I, I think PlayStation Now would be better if it if it had a wider selection of games outside of the PlayStation ecosystem. Like I said, you know, get some Dreamcast, get some Sega Saturn, get some TurboGrafx-16, get get that kind of stuff. Which would mean that they would have to improve the latency issue. Uh, but think about this for a moment. It, PlayStation Now is not really meant for 2017 or even 2018 or even 2019. This is Sony investing in the long-term future and, and it's basically a big, long beta test. Because sooner or later, the internet infrastructure in America and around the world is going to get good enough that you're going to be able to stream games. And I'm talking about new games. Uh, going out and purchasing a device that solely streams games as a console is a possibility. That really might happen. Now, you can get into the whole conversation about what does this mean? What do we own anymore? D- you know, I don't like digital games. I like physical games. This is going to be like 20 years down the line if it in fact happens, which I think there's a good possibility. But Xbox One is about now. This is about selling hardware. They're looking at these games that just aren't selling anymore and saying, Okay, we can create a service that will incentivize people to just go out, pick up an Xbox One, drop $10, and become invested with our first-party lineup. That's a pretty smart idea. You have to hand it to Xbox. Will I be using that service? Absolutely not. I already own many of the games they've mentioned, either on PlayStation 4 or on the Xbox One or on Xbox 360. But it's a good deal. I think it's smart. And I think they made the right move here. Um, I don't know. The one thing I I, I do wonder, though, is what's going to happen to EA Access? Because EA has their own $10 a month service where... You uh, give them money and you have access to their vault of games. It seems odd. It almost seems uh, a little bit contentious with Electronic Arts to kind of do that. Because it's throwing them under the bus. Because you've created a competing service that's only available on the Xbox One. You know, because EA Access is only available on PC and Xbox One. This is only available on Xbox One. Uh, I don't know. I don't think we're going to see the Mass Effect Trilogy available on, on Game Pass anytime soon. Let's move on, though. Toot toot. Let's keep going with the Microsoft News four new games were added to backwards compatibility for the xbox one they are as follows cars 2 the video game yes yes yeah cars 2 yes meet the robinsons yes oh i love i love movies from 2007 yes Dead Rising 2 Case West and Dead Rising 2 Case Zero. In case you're wondering, pun intended there, why don't they just have Dead Rising 2? Or off the record? Why do they only have these little uh, DLC adventures? And the reason being that Capcom actually released uh, Dead Rising 2 and off the record, and the original Dead Rising on the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 last fall. But there were these little bits, these little things. Case Zero and Case West were actually kind of cool, and, uh, you know, they weren't there. So it is nice that they introduced this into backwards compatibility. So now you can have the complete story of of the Dead Rising duology. I don't count Dead Rising 3 or 4. I never even released my review for Dead Rising 4. I wrote a review. Maybe I should just publish that sometime. It was, uh, it was not pleasant, not a pleasant experience. Anyway, toot toot. Now it's time to talk about the big star of the week Nintendo. Earlier this week, the company held a promotional livestream to announce a large number of independent titles coming to the Nintendo Switch, including Stardew Valley, the Harvest Moon-inspired RPG with a brand new multiplayer mode. Uh, Stardew Valley, of course, was one of the most celebrated games of 2016. It did gangbusters on uh, PC. And yes, the multiplayer mode will not only be coming to Switch, it will be on PC and I assume PlayStation 4 in the near future. Uh, I don't know if it's only online multiplayer or or local multiplayer. I assume local because this is Nintendo Switch where you can just pass the Joy-Con to someone. Uh, The next game is Wargroove, a tactical turn-based role-playing game featuring graphics and gameplay very reminiscent of Advance Wars. Uh, That's not to say you're going to be shooting tanks and, and having, you know, jets. This is, you know, fantasy. There are carts and horses and arrows and things like that. Uh, but it looks a lot like Advance Wars. I'm talking about when you're fighting each other, they actually do the split-screen thing. You know, if, if you've ever played Advance Wars, it's it's going to be very reminiscent. looks excellent. I, I just hope it can match, uh, the previous Advance Wars entries, because those were great games. Uh, Pocket Rumble, a fighting game resembling Neo Geo Pocket Graphics. That's a game going after my own heart, and I'm sure, uh, I'm sure if Jason from Portables of Doom is uh, listening, you too will agree that it looks very, very good, especially because it's a fighting game that's very simple. And like I said, pass the Joy-Con over to someone else. Uh, Shakedown Hawaii, the sequel to Retro City Rampage with a 16-bit art style. Uh, I don't believe that was ever announced before, so being revealed uh, as a Switch game is a pretty big deal. Mr. Shifty, a cel-shaded top-down stealth game, uh, which uh, it looked cool. Actually, it actually reminded me a little bit of, of, of games like, uh, you know, El Shaddai and uh, Killer7 in terms of its art style. Very dark and brooding. Very, uh, very cool looking game. Uh, Flipping Death. This is made by the people that made Stick It to the Man, which was a very early uh, PlayStation Plus game on PlayStation 4. Uh, Basically, you're going to be a young girl who becomes Death. You know, the Grim Reaper. And you have to help solve people's everyday problems, which, it looks cute. Uh, Blaster Master Zero. Yes, Blaster Master. This is a follow-up to the classic NES game. Um... It looks good. It has the pixel art. I'm just, you know, Blaster Master hasn't had the best history when it comes to sequels, so cross your fingers this is okay. Uh, runner 3, the third entry in the very popular cult classic Runner series. This uh, this seems to be improving the graphics greatly, though, because there are lavish 3D backgrounds that have these sort of twisted figures looking at you while you run. Yes, it's a Runner game, but it looks really good. Uh, Kingdom Two Crowns, a pixel art 2D medieval adventure game. Don Dara which is a fast-paced platformer. Might be a Metroidvania. Kind of looked like a Metroidvania. She was shooting guns and fighting robots, I think. It looked cool. Uh, Goner, a roguelike platformer. The Escapist 2, a follow-up to the popular indie title, now with four-player support, which is very cool because, like I said, the Switch is a portable multiplayer system. That's one of the main features there because you can split the Joy-Cons and hand them to each other. Uh, Overcooked, special edition. Last year's incredibly popular and charming Cooking simulator game. It's hard to explain, but there's a lot of resource management and, and timing. And man, being able to play that locally multiplayer sounds amazing. Ukulele, which was almost a foregone conclusion because they canceled the Wii U version. And lastly, Steam World Dig 2, the sequel to the popular underground mining roguelike adventure game, looked incredible. They've really enhanced the art style. Uh, I gotta say, all in all, this list is amazing. And You gotta give credit to Nintendo. Think about this for a second. Do you really think that's all the independent developers that are coming to the Switch? No way, not even close. There are so many independent developers that will be developing on the Switch because they can just put their games anywhere and they need to, to survive. That's one of the things about independent uh, developers, unless they're just working on mobile titles, uh, they need to get that out as far as they can. But Nintendo curated uh, all of those games for this presentation And for me, I walked away thinking, wow, this looks like the successor to the 3DS. Because this is the type of stuff that I want to play on the go. I don't want to really sit there and and look on my TV and, you know, wig the Joy-Cons around. That doesn't sound very entertaining. But being able to, like, play this on the bus or, you know, at a park or at uh, Red Lobster when the waiter's trying to take my order. And I'm like, no, man, I'm playing Overcooked. We're kind of doing the same thing, aren't we, buddy? And he'll get really mad at me. And then I'll I'll demand that I want more uh, cheesy bread. It's going to get, you know, real weird. Uh, But... I'm really excited to play these independent games on the go. And, you know, the one thing that worries me about all of this, well, hold on, we'll get to that in the next story. Here's what we got. Toot Toot, speaking of which, not all Nintendo Switch games will be playable on TV. Rayark developed mobile title Voyez will be released, or was released, I'm sorry, on the Japanese eShop on Friday. The rhythm game uses touch controls and as such can only be played in portable mode by using the touchscreen of the switch no word on if the game will be released outside of japan okay here's what i want to get to about all those indie games so i watched that indie presentation i thought that is fantastic looks incredible i love the games that they picked to show off they have a knack for talent and then i read this story and i'll be honest uh voyez looks very good looks like a good game that you'd want to tap on everything thing is it was a mobile game at one point And now it's coming to the Switch because, of course, yeah, touchscreen makes sense. Awesome. If you are a user of PlayStation Network or Xbox Live and you go on their stores, there is some absolute shit there. And I'm not talking about, oh, that game's not good. I'm not talking about like, oh, that game is like a 6 out of 10 or a 5 out of 10 or even a 4 out of 10. I'm talking like one... 0.0 out of 10, 0.5 out of 10 titles. Just shovelware. Just things that are just thrown on the PlayStation Network or thrown onto Xbox Live. And you don't, you know, have to take my word for it. Open up your phone right now. Go into the App Store. Look at all those games that are being released. There is, there, no one is paying attention to what is being released on on platforms any, uh, these days, or at least that's what it feels like, you know And I would hope Nintendo would take a cue from their past like back in the 1980s Back when they launched the NES in America And they were very specific about what games they would allow to be released Now that didn't mean all the games were good I mean there are plenty of bad games on, on the NES People have made careers talking about bad games on the NES But... They definitely didn't have that scenario like they did with Atari, where it's just a flood of crap day after day, and it was impossible to find everything. And I don't think having a a featured storefront is good enough. I think they really need to spend time with these developers, because they're calling them Nindies. They're giving them that stamp of approval, you know, on the eShop. Sit down and be like, okay, what is this game about? Get a chance to get a look at it, play it. And even if it is that 5 out of 10 or 4 out of 10, make sure it... It has some a semblance of quality. It's not just some slapdash, quick buck, thrown on the eShop. I don't want to see that. I really don't want to see that. So, cool. There are going to be some games that are just portable, and I see these indie games, and that's really got me excited. But do not just let anything be released on your platform. And if you're saying, oh, you're exaggerating. You're exaggerating about the PlayStation Network. Go look up Toro. Or Yorbi. Or whatever that Panther game was that was launched last month. There is just inexcusable crap on PlayStation Network and Xbox Live. More so PlayStation Network. Just being real here. All right. Toot toot. The next story is about Nintendo's online plans. You can tell from my tone I'm not very appreciative of Nintendo's plans. Nintendo's day one update for the Switch introduced much of its online functionality, including friends lists. Unfortunately, this also comes with one major caveat. Friend codes have returned, requiring players to exchange randomly generated strings of numbers and letters to each other to add each other onto their friends list. Uh, one bright side, users who have previously added each other through Nintendo's mobile apps like Miitomo or Super Mario Run can just click on a person's name and send an invite. That's really the whole story, and I've used the Switch, and I didn't quite believe it at first. <laughs> I read the story, and I'm like, ah, you know, I mean, it's not really going to be just friend codes, right? It's going to be like a version of friend codes. And in case you don't know what friend codes are, like if you really have no experience, like let's say me and you want to add each other on our 3DS right now. The way we would do that is we have to go into our settings and 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 then we have to find our friend code because you're never going to memorize your friend code. It's just numbers and letters, just random stuff. Like you know, if you have like a PlayStation Network or or um, y- like any sort of gift card that you use, it's that's the type of stuff you're typing in to add someone as a friend. It sucks. Now there is one bright spot, and that is if you are next to someone who also has a Nintendo Switch uh, and you both have your systems. You can just add each other via, like, a a little bit of Wi-Fi thing. It has a picture of two cards, and it's like, click the card that your friend is seeing, and then you hit that card, and whatever. But friend codes, I don't understand it. I know in the past Nintendo has claimed that this is for security reasons, to protect the children. Gotta protect the children, I get it, I understand, it's very important. Protect children, got it. But is this really any more secure than just having a username? Like, on PlayStation Network or Xbox Live, are children really being bombarded by, by threats? Because they use usernames, and we know, thanks to many a voice chat, there are lots of children on these consoles. No, nothing ever happened. So why is Nintendo focusing on this? And frankly, their audience is older than they give credit for. I suppose their target audience is still children, but... Come on, Nintendo. Hopefully, when they release their mobile app... We don't have to deal with this anymore. I hope. Anyway. Toot toot. And lastly in Nintendo news, the Switch allows you to take your games everywhere except your mouth as discovered by jeff gersman each of the switch game carts is coated in a non-toxic substance resulting in a horrible taste that lasts for hours when licked a nintendo representative recently spoke to polygon to clarify that was intentional quote a bittering agent all right i'm gonna have to pronounce this real quick so give me a chance here dinatonium benzoit has also been applied to the game cart to avoid the possibility of accidental ingestion." End quote. (laughs) That's really the whole story. Kudos to Nintendo for thinking of that, because a three-year-old will just be like, Oh, video games are really fun. I want to eat a video game. You know, kids are stupid. We all know this. Have you ever seen schools? They have to teach them things like math. Idiots. Just use a calculator. Kids are dumb, we can agree there. So, kudos to Nintendo for doing this. However, I saw a post on Reddit that this does not work on dogs. Someone had a chewed up 1-2 Switch cart, and uh, that sucks. Actually, dogs might like the taste of it. There might be packs of wild dogs roaming around GameStops now, just hunting for (laughs) Nintendo Switch carts. It's tasty. Toot toot, and before we go on, of course I didn't try it, I'm not doing that. Toot toot, and now our sole PlayStation story for the week, and it's the March PlayStation Plus Free Games Library. On the PlayStation 4, Disc Jam will be launched. Uh, this is a brand new game. It has not been released, so it's launching much like Rocket League on a uh, PlayStation Plus. Uh, it, it's a little bit like Windjammers, which is this weird action volleyball sports game. It, it looks cool. Check it out for yourself. It's, it's got quite the cult following. And hopefully Disc Jam can live up to that because there's only two people working on this game. So... They're getting a lot of exposure. Hope it works out for them. Uh, Lumo will also be available on the PlayStation 4 and Vita. So it's a cross-play game. Uh, Lumo. On PlayStation 3, Earth Defense Force 2025. Gotta love those games. Bad frame rates, amazing gameplay. You, you're fighting giant ants as a soldier in the middle of a big city. It's it's cool. Uh, Under Night in Birth, which is a fighting game and a, and a good one that I actually played a while ago. A lot of people disliked my video that I made of that game, and I have no idea why. I liked the game. Did they not like the game? I don't know. It's from like two years ago. And on the Vita, you're, of course, you're going to get Lumo, and you're also going to get Severed, which is from Juicebox, the guys that made Guacamelee. Uh, Severed, I've never played it, but I've known for many people it's an extremely polished game. That's what I kept hearing. It's one of the best touch games they've ever played. It came to the Wii U later on. Maybe we'll see it on the Switch. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, You know, last month we introduced this brand new segment called the PlayStation Plus Crybabies where we had people that complained about the PlayStation Plus lineup and just read their comments out loud because they're silly They're 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 always complaining and for the most part No one was complaining. Everybody liked this lineup. So I guess we can't do that segment this week Uh, But there was one person that complained that Luma was already a PlayStation Plus game Even though it wasn't Do your research, bud. Okay. Toot toot. Moving on to third-party news. Following last week's leak, Middle-Earth Shadow of Mordor, the sequel, Shadow of War, was announced by Warner Bros. Interactive. Uh, this sequel will feature an improved version of the celebrated Nemesis system, where previously fought enemies would create an adv- adversarial relationship with the player. Quote, Following the amazing reception to Middle-Earth Shadow of Mordor, we massively expanded every dimension of the game, including the world, the story, the RPG, the core gameplay, and of course, the personal player stories of the nemesis system. Uh, It appears that the nemesis system will now not just include individual people that you fight, but also, uh, you know, uh, bases and and large groups of people, which is kind of cool. Uh, Shadow of War will be released on the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC on August 22nd. It was also mentioned that PS4 Pro and Scorpio support will be included. I really hope this game is good. Because I I, I played Shadow of Mordor, and I know some people were huge fans of that game, especially because of the Nemesis system. I loved the first eight hours of that game. I was in it. I was running around and killing orcs and having a great time. And then part of the way through, they're like, no, now you have to... Take over the orcs and they're going to be your allies. I don't want to be no allies with an orc. I want to chop off its head or whatever they are. I don't actually know if they're orcs or if they're some other Tolkien random reference. I, Sorry, I, I never read the books. I didn't like the movies. <laughs> now that's going to get me in trouble. I did not like the Lord of the Rings films. I saw part one, part two, and didn't see part three because, hey, if I didn't like the first two, I'm not going to like the third. Then again, I did the same thing with the Star Wars trilogy and people keep telling me I need to see... Uh, Revenge of the Sith. Anyway, (laughs) that was really off topic. I just hope that they, you know, they take more liberties with the Lord of the Rings franchise because Mordor is kind of a boring place. There really wasn't that much to do. It was really ugly and I get that it's supposed to be ugly, but like the environments themselves outside of a couple of uh, fortresses just didn't do anything for me. Once you saw one location, you kind of saw them all. So I hope that they try to do with this game uh, what they did with, um, you know, Batman Arkham City, which is to make it way more diverse in terms of locations. And that's kind of the other problem with these titles is that because they're all fan fiction, you don't really have that attachment to the characters like you do with Batman. where are like, I'm going after the penguin. You know what you're doing. You're going after the penguin. That's really exciting. When you're going after... Carlark. Car- Car- Carlark. Carlark, the... The basher. It's like, um. Oh cool. All right. But I guess the nemesis system is there to make that a little bit more interesting. Dude dude, way back in 2009 Ubisoft released Avatar the Game, which of course won many game of the year awards. Oh, I'm sorry, which uh, no one liked. Misread that. Uh, now they're now they've announced that the team behind 2016's *The Division* will be taking a crack at Pandora. Few details have been revealed, but in a production trailer, James Cameron, the director of the *Avatar* film, uh, now voiced his approval. "Quote: What impressed me about the what have <laughs> what impressed me about Massive were the group's passion for this project." and the power of its Snowdrop engine. That's the engine that they used in The Division. I believe Ubisoft's team at Massive Entertainment are absolutely the right partners to bring the beauty and danger of Pandora to life. End quote. No release date was given. Uh, Massive has stated this will not interrupt the continued support of The Division. That's really all we know. There was no gameplay clips, nothing. They they announced it's going to be out on PC. They didn't even say which consoles it'll be released on. It is just... We don't know really what kind of game it's going to be. Is it going to be like The Division? Is it going to be like an MMO? Or is it going to be an action game? Or is it going to be an RPG? Or what is it? We don't know. That's all the details we have. Uh, But I'm, you know, here's the thing. Uh, I understand, I really do, that Avatar was a very popular film. The highest grossing film of all time. Almost $2.5 billion. Very impressive. Aces. Good on you. But does anyone really care? About Avatar? I mean, really care. Is there that hardcore Avatar fan still out there? And I'm not talking about the Nickelodeon show. I'm talking about Avatar fans. Real Avatar fans that are sitting there. They want to go back to Pandora. They're excited for the four films that are going to start I don't know, production at at some point next year. I I don't know. It just seems like a a weird, uh, you know, horse to tie your company to. I, I have the utmost faith in massive games because I like The Division. I thought The Division was excellent. The Division is one of the best games of 2016. It didn't make my top 10 list just because there were so many other good games, but, you know, I walked away from The Division feeling very confident about what they would do with that game in the future, and obviously they've had some issues, but they're really picking it up, and and people are fans of that game, but taking all those systems, even a better version of The Division with the coding of Avatar, eh, uh, no. No, thank you. I'm sure it'll look good. Eh. Toot toot. Let's go and talk about the games that are going to be out on this week. On Tuesday, Attila Huris, The Alchemist, and The Mysterious Journey will be out on the PlayStation Vita and PlayStation 4. Also, Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Wildlands will be available on the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 will be out on the Xbox One and PC. Lego Worlds will be on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Cyber Danganronpa VR will be on the PlayStation 4. I didn't even know this was coming out, so that's kind of cool. I assume it has something to do with the Danganronpa series that's on the Vita and coming soon to the PlayStation 4. Uh, Near Automata will be on the PlayStation 4, and apparently that game is, is pretty good, so... Keep your eyes peeled. No reviews have come up yet, but apparently it's pretty good. Unearthing Mars will be on the PlayStation 4. Wednesday, Wednesday, we'll have Sub-Level Zero Redux version on the PlayStation 4. What a great title. Can we give them a plus? Sub-Zero Sub-level 0, I'm sorry. Sub-Zero, that's ridiculous. Sub-level 0, Redux version. Great name. Great name. Sub Siege will be on the PC. And then on Thursday, Blaster Master Zero will be on the Switch and 3DS. Forgot to mention that. Also coming to 3DS. And Pamela will be on the PC. <laughs> beep, beep. That's gonna do it for the Hype Train. Good job, Hype Train. You live up to your name each and every week. Wow. Anyway, I got to tell you, I have been playing a lot of the Nintendo Switch, and I guess I should talk about that a little bit, and there's really nowhere else to put it, so I'm going to do that right here. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about uh, what it was like going to get that Nintendo Switch. Let me just tell you a little bit about that. Uh, I walked into uh, an unnamed place. They're not getting a free plug. No, no. <laughs> not on this podcast. Uh, I went over there. Uh, it was around 11 p.m. because I had mine pre-ordered online, so I was like, yeah, Whatever. I can show up late. I get there. Gigantic line. Everyone's already inside, but there's just this gigantic line of people. And I'm like, holy shit. Okay, well, uh, what do I do? And then I look over to my left, and there's like four guys in a line. And I walk up. I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing here? You know, What is, what is this? Uh, is this where I get the accessories? Because I also pre-ordered a pro controller, which I'll talk about in a moment, and uh, of course, Zelda. And they're like, oh, no, this is for uh, online pre-orders. Like this, this right here, where's everyone else? Have they taken anyone yet? And they go, no, 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 nope. We, we've we just been waiting here since 10. I'm like, what the fuck? So I, I start waiting in line. I'm chatting them up and I'm looking over. And 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 the other line was was for people that didn't pre-order at all. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger. I'm talking at least 30, 35, maybe even 40 people by the time I left. Huge lines. And they kept saying, oh, we, we, we have supply. We can... We can get a good number of you, but for everyone that pre-ordered, it was like four people. And then there was another line for people that, you know, just pre-ordered in store. And that was like 10 people. So altogether it was like 15 people versus like 40 people that didn't pre-order. And like I said, the line kept on growing. So I got mine, took it home, plugged it in. And, uh, I gotta say overall, my impressions of the system are a little mixed to be frank with you. Uh, it, it does seem very, very, very rushed overall, um, I will say the Joy Cons, the detachable controllers, are far more comfortable than I thought they would be. They are fantastic. That is pretty much my preferred way to play the Nintendo Switch: is the Joy Cons separated. Uh, they they rest perfectly in your hand after a little bit of practice. Uh, on the right Joy Con, the the thumbstick is lower, which is kind of awkward at first. But once you get the hang of it, it's super easy. Uh, the, the shoulder buttons are nice. They click right away. I never accidentally pressed in the shoulder buttons, even holding these joy cons, uh, which is something that I actually kind of did every now and again with the, uh, the Motes back on the Wii. So that kind of impressed me. The motion controls really work. I, there's a couple of sections with motion controls in Zelda. Uh, they don't always, they're not always very well designed those sections, but I can account that the controller itself is doing very, very good for motion controls. It's only the right uh, I want to say it's a, it was well. I don't know if it's just the game, but I believe it's only the right Joy-Con. I might be wrong about that. It might be both. But in Zelda, you only use the right Joy-Con. Um, I don't know. Uh, when I when I put them into the the Joy-Con grip, uh, it's still a good controller overall. I think that they made the right move there. Uh, but the Pro controller. It is not quite as good as you would hope, especially because it is $70. You assume that it's going to be incredible. And it has all the features of the Joy-Cons. There is motion controls. There is the HD rumble, which, by the way, the HD rumble is kind of eh. It doesn't feel all that different. I guess it just feels like if you took the Xbox One triggers and, and slotted them into the grips of a controller. That's what it feels like. It doesn't add a whole lot to uh, the experience. But uh, I guess it didn't play 1-2 Switch. Maybe there's something there that I'm just not experiencing in Zelda. I don't know. Uh but the Pro controller it just has some really odd issues. Um the start and select button which are used frequently in Zelda. And I mean frequently, maybe every 3 minutes I'm always going through the start and select menus. The buttons themselves are slightly above the thumbsticks and Every time I, I reach for them, I'm going to the left or the right because that's how most controllers are. And I'm accidentally taking pictures because there's a picture mode in the Switch and there is also a home button. I keep accidentally going back to home or accidentally hitting a you know the photo button and taking pictures when I don't mean to. It's infuriating. I'm starting to get used to it, but for the most part, I'm just jumping back to the Joy-Cons because that's the way to play. Now, when something else comes out like, I don't know, Splatoon or, or Mario, something that doesn't require the select button or the start button as much, I'm sure I'll enjoy the pro controller more, but on Zelda, no way. Joy cons are the way to go. And let me just tell you using two, they're almost like Wiimotes, but they're much smaller. It's such a joy. I mean, I didn't mean to do that. I actually did not mean to do that. Uh, No pun intended. Like I would just be, you know, stretching out my back and still playing Zelda. And it was kind of weird. I'm like, Whoa, Hey, you know, I have the controller in each hand. It's, it's so unique and so different. And That's probably my favorite part about uh, the Nintendo Switch right now is the Joy-Con. And I have also played a little bit of it portable. I'm capturing videos, so not much, you know, because I want to be able to have it on the TV so I can capture the footage for the review that'll be going up later this week. And, you know, it it feels pretty comfortable slotting in the Joy-Cons. That's pretty good, uh, you know. Also, slide the Joy Cons into the Joy Con grip. That works perfectly fine. There are these wrist straps that come with the the Joy Con. The ones that add, uh, you know, a raised shoulder button. I don't know if you've seen this, but the Joy Cons they have these little things that just slide into them to make them a bit wider, and they're fine. They're not amazing. They're fine. I guess they're more for motion control games because they actually have little straps that tie around your wrist. But they are hard as hell to remove from the Joy Con. I don't know what i was doing wrong like i I would hold down the button and try and slide it off i just couldn't i couldn't i tried as hard as i could it took me about 15 minutes to do it and when it comes to the the, you know the console itself it's like swip swip that was easy or when it comes to uh uh the uh the grip that's not challenging at all but these little wrist strap things so perplexing everything else about the system you know it's good it's good it's got a very clean interface uh the eShop looks like it has a good interface even though there's there's not much out on there yet uh, you know, it's it's good, you know, and, and, and using it as a portable the touch screen It's very sharp. It's a very sharp image that you're getting on that screen It looks fantastic, especially if you turn up the brightness all the way Uh, zelda in particular on there just looked it looked great But at the other day for me something like zelda, I don't want to take that on the go I want to play that on my tv That is how I want to play that but I can definitely see myself Sitting down to play things like uh, shovel knight on the go and uh, I guess one last thing there is a tabletop mode which on the back of the Switch console, when you remove it, there's like a little kickstand. It is so useless. It is so useless because, like, it it makes the console, like, just completely vertical. And there's just no way to look at it unless you're, like, crouched all the way down. It has no purpose whatsoever. Although, I did see online that Hori has de- designed a, a stand that also charges uh the system when it's on the go like a they have their own kickstand i might pick that up just because as of right now i will never use this i will i will hold the system in my hand with the joy cons attached to the system i'm never using kickstand mode and that's really disappointing because you don't want to prop it up against like a book or something and have it slide off and bang your system and then be like oh no did i break it i don't know and the carts are super cute all in all nintendo switch it's a good system it does feel rushed though doesn't feel like it's all there, and that 's one of those things where i can 't really point to one particular thing and be like that 's what 's wrong with the switch. I mean, I could if I you know sat down and thought about it for longer than just you know rambling right here, but it feels like something is missing. it does feel like something is not all there yet, especially when it comes to the interface and, and the thing with friend codes and there 's really no online functionality right now no no games that I believe you can play online so uh eh, it's, it's odd. It's odd for a system in 2017. Um, but all in all, if, you, if you're if you going to play Zelda, this seems like it's the way to do it. You can play it on your Wii U, but I think this is a really cool way to do it, especially with those Joy-Cons. Love that controller. Pro controller, got some issues right there. Hopefully when I play a game that doesn't require uh, select and start, which in Zelda are your map and your inventory, uh, then maybe I can get a little bit more into it, but it's good. I... I don't think anyone needs to buy it right now, but when Splatoon comes out or when Mario comes out and you're like, oh, I have to play that, you're going to have a very neat system that'll hopefully have a good uh, online infrastructure by then. Because it doesn't now, but hopefully it will. I don't know. There you go. That's just me talking about the Switch. <sighs> you know, like I said, though, I've been mostly playing my Switch on the TV. I really should take it on the go, I should take it outside but i don't know where i would go what am i talking about i know a place that's always warm with the glow of cold hard cash we're stepping outside that's right it's time for the chart park the land where money grows on trees yes the chart park this is the part show we talk about all those fat cats of wall street and find out which of them will tip their top hats towards Lady Luck. As we discuss all the legal business and financial news in the video game industry, we're going to be starting off with some Twitch news, which is owned by Amazon, of course. Twitch has announced it will soon begin selling digital PC games in the spring of this year. The popular video game streaming service will now include a buy now button for the game being streamed. So, you know, you're watching somebody stream something, Down there it says, hey, you want to play this game on your PC, a digital version? Just hit buy now right here. Uh, Twitch will receive 20% of the revenue, where the uh, developer and publisher will receive 75%. And the person who's streaming, the person who opts into this program, will receive 5%. So they're getting a cut from that. Uh, Users who purchase games through through Twitch will also receive a bundle of randomized chat emojis. The current list of publishers ranges from larger companies such as Ubisoft to smaller teams such as Telltale and Digital Devolver. Man, okay, I see a lot of people freaking out over this. Going, oh my God, this is ruining the integrity of Twitch streamers. We'll get to that in a second. Let's talk about why this is happening. Twitch, very popular service. People like to go on there. They like to watch the streams. They like to stream themselves directly from their PC or from their Xbox or from uh, PlayStation 4. Hopefully Nintendo has a solution for that. We'll see, but everybody seems to like using Twitch in one way or another. Problem is, it doesn't really make money outside of advertising. And Amazon purchased Twitch thinking that they were going to get a great deal going and they were going to have a real influence in video games. So far, not so much. They need to make money out of this. And they've already, you know, been tinkering around with ideas of uh, donation buttons that, uh, you know, Twitch and Amazon will take a cut from. So you donate to a streamer and Amazon gets a piece of it. Well, if you're already advertising the games, because that's kind of what streams are, they're kind of advertisements or at least exposure for the games. Why not have a buy now button? Makes sense to me. Now as for the streamers, everyone's freaking out because people are just going to stream stuff to get paid, huh? Where is their journalistic integrity? Well, let me tell you, they have none. That's right, those Twitch streamers have none. And they don't, they don't need any. They're not journalists. Here's the thing that always bothers me about video game culture in general. Everyone seems to be on the same level. Like they haven't communicated, you know, what's going on with video game business, video game influencers, video games, whatever. If you're watching Access Hollywood, Alright, does that show even exist anymore? If you're watching Entertainment Tonight, do you really think they're gonna be hard-hitting journalists? Do you think they're gonna sit down a a director and be like, your movie sucked, and you said it was gonna be good. Why, wasn't it good, Zack Snyder, or whoever? No, of course not, because they're not journalists. They might cover news stories, but they're not journalists. They are presenters. Remember way back in the day when Jeff Keighley got all that shit because he was the Dorito Pope. What is he doing? He, he, he's got Mountain Dew and he's got Doritos and he's got Xbox. What a sellout. Well, he wasn't selling out to anything. He wasn't really a journalist in that role. He was being a presenter. We seem to understand the difference. We seem to understand uh, in other mediums. We seem to understand the difference between, I don't know, um, TMZ, TMZ and the Oscars. We don't confuse the Oscars with this this journalistic body. We understand that these are people that are out there to promote and talk about films and celebrate films, but they are not there to, to ask the hard-hitting questions. So when it comes to Twitch streamers, why should they care? They're not reporting the news. They are just there to entertain you. Maybe they're there to inform you. Maybe they're there to do both, and that's fine, and everyone's going to have their own role. But somebody that wants to stream, I don't know, a new Assassin's Creed game, and they're going to get a cut from it, why not? Their job's to entertain you. And if you're being entertained enough to actually pick up a game, why don't they get a cut of it? That's fine by me. Now, there have been instances in the past where this is unethical. In my opinion... Sometimes there were unethical uh, activities going on. Remember the uh, CSGO skins? People that were not being transparent. People that were, you know, just being like, Oh, you should check out this website and and gamble with these skins. And they were making tons of money, never disclosing the fact that they actually own those websites. Or that they were receiving money from those websites. That's a problem. But if you go on Twitch, you see a buy now button, it's pretty clear that they would prefer if you hit that buy now button. Now is that the reason they're, they're streaming that particular game? Maybe, maybe not. But who cares? It's it's transparent. You know what's going on. This is nothing shady here. So I have no issue with it. Stop freaking out. Streamers are not journalists, all right? You know, Samuel L. Jackson going on TV to ask you to sign up for a Citibank card. He's not being an actor. He's not trying to win an Oscar there. He's a presenter, he's an advertiser. When he's in a movie, he's being an actor. You see, there's there's different roles. Transparency. That's, that's the key. Moving on, the Xbox Game Pass announcement certainly garnered some excitement, but for major retailer GameStop, the news was not good. Shortly following the reveal, GameStop's stock dropped by 8%. The company is already combating the growing digital console game market. GameStop makes a large portion of its revenue from selling used physical games. Xbox marketing executive Mike Nicholas stressed that this would not affect their relationship with GameStop. Quote, we also know that our fans look for a variety of ways to purchase and try games and services. And I'm happy to announce that we are working with retail partners such as GameStop on offering Xbox Game Pass to their customers. We'll have more details to share in the future. In other words, much like you would go in there and purchase a uh, uh, an Xbox Live... Account or whatever you want to say it. it, you know the gift cards they'll give you a year of Xbox Live. Now you can go go in there and, and purchase a gift card for Xbox Game Pass. They're working alongside uh, GameStop, and you know, basically, long story short, Microsoft can't entirely screw over GameStop because they're a place that sells their consoles. Like it's important that GameStop still have uh, Xbox Ones. They can't they can't get rid of that. You might be able to download a game. You can't download an Xbox. You can't even download the original Xbox, there's no emulators. But you can't download the current Xbox either. So they need to maintain that relationship. But just as a side note, I do want to talk about something real quick. I, I've seen GameStop become villainized over the years, and people cannot wait for that company to shut down. Well, the company itself is probably never going to shut down, but what's going to happen in GameStop? I mean, you know, as years go on, it's just more convenient to just hit a button and download a game. It's fine. It works. And sooner or later, it does feel inevitable that GameStop, as we know them, will go away. And that kind of bums me out. I understand why people don't like GameStop. They don't like all the upselling. They don't like the idea that some stores uh, were throwing away games uh, that were not supposed to be thrown away. They don't like that they prosecute dumpster divers. All that stuff. But for the most part, I, I think GameStop is really important. And if not GameStop, then you know we need some other major retailer for games. A- and the reason being is... Uh, Well, you know, how do I even say this? Like 10 years ago, yeah, it was about 10 years ago, I worked for Blockbuster. I worked at Blockbuster for like three years. Blockbuster was a really weird job to have. But one of the cool things about it is that people would come in and go, hey, you know, I'm looking for a movie, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, what kind of movie you want? Ooh, I'm looking for this movie. Oh, yeah, we got a movie like that. And they, they go see the movie, and then they come back and go, you know what? I didn't really like that movie. Oh, man, why not? And as that would go on, you would develop relationships with your customers, and you would talk about film. If you wanted to talk about movies, you could go to Blockbuster. <laughs> you know, you could actually go to a place to discuss movies with someone, to create, uh, you know, some sort of a relationship there and that might sound weird uh, but I was working there and I did not mind it because people would come in and they would know what my tastes were and you know if I said oh I really like this action movie they're like ah, I don't like your taste in action movies then they would ignore me or uh, maybe they would tell me something that I hadn't heard about it was a it was a cool place so but that's gone now if you want to talk about movies where do you go you go on the internet and that's just less personal I do think it's nice to have retailers actual locations that are centered around video games it Matters if you're in the middle of nowhere like iowa god forbid God forbid you were ever in iowa. I am. I, I, this is all a hypothetical, okay? I do not want to scare you, but if you were in iowa huh, and you wanted to go pick up a physical game you, Maybe your only outlet would be gamestop or it could be amazon But there's something about that personal experience that people really need to have it's cool We've lost the location where people that like video games can be <laughs> We don't have arcades anymore. It sucks. So, I hope GameStop sticks around, but, you know, news like Xbox Game Pass and PlayStation Plus and all these people downloading games and internet infrastructure getting better in the United States, uh, hopefully, makes it seem inevitable that we will lose uh, game stores. Um, Although I'm sure independent stores will remain. But hey, if you're in Iowa, God forbid, you might not have an independent store near you, which is sad. Anyway, moving on, some sad news. Longtime video game executive Peter Moore will be living, leaving? Leaving the video game industry. Moore will become the CEO of Liverpool Football Club, the prestigious soccer team founded in 1892. You'll never guess where they're from. Come a little closer. They're from Liverpool. It's true, they're from Liverpool. Uh, Last year, the team was valued at $1.55 billion. And yes, I do mean dollars, not pounds, when, you know, actually took the time to make it into dollars. Uh, Moore's history in the video game industry started when he left Reebok to join Sega in the mid-90s before becoming the COO of the company. In 2003, he left Sega and joined the Xbox division of Microsoft, where he became famous for revealing game release dates and announcements with tattoos and body art. In 2006, he joined EA, uh, though his role in the company was always ill-defined. At one point, he was the president of EA Sports before becoming the chief competitor officer for Electronic Arts' eSports division in 2015. And that's really the whole story there. You know, it sucks to see this dude go. It really does. And it's funny, when I look at Peter Moore, I still see him as like the new guy, which is weird, you know, because, I mean, he was at plenty of E3s, and he's just a very familiar face. And when he was with Xbox, those were the glory days. He had so much talent. He knew exactly how to talk to the audience. He could feel out the audience. And... He would go off script and it just felt good. It felt natural. When he was talking, it was like, oh, okay, this guy gets it. It never felt like he was a video game fan. Then I don't think he ever truly portrayed someone that loved video games, but he seemed to really care about the audience. He really seemed to care about the users. And when he went over to EA, it's like, oh, that's weird. And then just him popping up at random things to be like, oh, this year's Madden is going to be crazy Madden. You're going to love Madden. And even last year during the uh, EA Play events where he was over in England for the simulcast, it was like, oh, there's Peter Moore. What's he doing? Oh, he's leaving. Goodbye, Peter Moore. Have a good one, I guess. That's sad. So... I, I I assume he's leaving, and this is just me assuming, but way back in 2013, it sounded like he was going to become the CEO of Electronic Arts, but then Andrew Wilson came in and he took over, and ever since then, it's just been kind of like, huh, oh, what, what is Peter Moore doing? And I'm sure he was disappointed by that news. Now, he's a huge soccer fan. He, he gets to become the CEO of, of, of the Liverpool team. That's got to be a dream come true! I mean, he's getting up there in years, I think he's like 63 or something like that, so, you know, he's stepping away from the video game industry, but he's going towards his passion, and after so many years and so many entertaining moments, I mean, for fuck's sake, he had a tattoo of the Halo 5 release date, which many people have said is real, which is bonkers, Uh, he deserves a break, he deserves his dream job, which is awesome. Anyway, in similar news, the managing director of Sony Interactive Australia and New Zealand, Michael Efren is leaving the company after his position was made redundant. In a statement to the video game website GameSpot, Sony explained that their current global strategy has res- has resulted in some areas overlapping in responsibility. Mr. Efren released a gracious statement uh, following the news, quote, The opportunity to have been involved from the launch of the original PlayStation has been a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I want to thank everyone across the PlayStation family, and specifically all the incredible staff that I've had the pleasure to work with here at PlayStation ANZ. He wrote A-N-Z, so I'm going to call it ANZ. I wish everyone continued success in their personal endeavors and also for SIE, the SIE organization, uh, end quote. Uh, Mr. Efren's tenure began all the way back in 1992, where he helped introduce the PlayStation brand to Australia and New Zealand. Oof. Okay, I have to imagine there is more to this story. Because think about this for a second. The PlayStation 4 over in Australia has done very well. It's done. You can you can look up all the old news stories where it was the fastest selling console uh, in 2014 and 2015. It's done very well. And and Efren deserves a lot of that credit because he brought the PlayStation brand to Australia. He 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 was he was the head of that, he focused on that, it did very well in that country. He deserves a lot of credit. And now after 25 years, it would be like, well, we're getting rid of your position, so uh, you know, you could pack up. Right, you can you can pack up, and leave. Can can you do that? Can you do that first? Thank you for 25 years. See you later, buddy. I don't I don't buy it. I think there's more to this story where they must have offered him some sort of deal and been like, hey, you want to try and do this? And he was like, mm, no, for whatever reason that might be, where whether it was going to be less pay or he was going to have to move or he was going to have to take on a, a new role or maybe he didn't want to work under, you know, someone directly. He wanted to be in, in you know, in front of a project. I don't know, I don't know. I don't know why he would just step away after 25 years, but I sure hope it's not because Sony just was done with him. Because after 25 years, he knows your brand, he knows your history, he knows your culture. Uh, what else do you need? That's the guy you want to keep around. Anyway, moving on, after four months on the market, we finally have hard numbers on the PlayStation VR sales. Speaking to the New York Times, Sony's Andrew House revealed the company has sold 915,000 units since October. Sony has predicted sales of at least 1 million headsets by mid-April, though supply constraints have affected sales. The PlayStation VR comes in two different varieties, a single headset for $399 and a bundle with a PlayStation camera and two move controllers for $499. Woo! This is absolutely insane, okay? If you were to ask me, how many headsets do you think Sony has sold? I'd be like, I don't know, you know, pie in the sky, uh, you know, 600,000 high in the sky, taking the pie and putting it in the clouds. 600,000. That's what I would have told you. That's what I would have told you. 915,000. That's, and some people might not be impressed by this. They're like, big deal. PlayStation 4 sold 55 million. Big whoop. I don't care. You're just someone that doesn't get impressed. I understand that. But this is an accessory to a $400 device. I mean, yes, it got a price drop, uh, you know, over the past couple of years, but this is a $400 device, right? Then a $350 device, then a $299 device, and people are out there purchasing a $400 or $500 accessory. That is insane. Accessories are a dangerous market to get into, and they don't always shake out unless you're selling game controllers or, well, they don't make memory cards anymore. But when they did, they made a killing. The idea that people are willing to spend that much money shows that there's a lot of potential in the market for PlayStation VR. And it, it really makes me wonder if they didn't have these supply constraints. Because I guess there's something about um, something particular about the way the uh, the lens on the eyes. They, they they have to get that just right. It's a very boutique item. It feels great when you put it on your head. But they have to get it just right. So it's, it's been taking a little bit to, uh, to meet demand. Over in Japan, people are lining up just for the possibility of getting a PlayStation VR headset. Here in America, you know, you can look it up, message boards and forums and, and on Twitter, people are trying to get one of these headsets. I just hope that Sony knows what they're doing because if you do own a headset, if you're like me, I play my PlayStation VR maybe um, once a month and then it just collects dust for like 30 days and then something comes out and like, oh, check that on. Oh, wow, well, well after two hours, this is okay. I'm done. See you in 30 days. They still haven't cracked that nut. There still isn't that single experience that sort of um, You know, that's sort of like a Rocket League or something like that or a Minecraft, you know The thing that uh, you can just pick up and play and every time you come back uh, You feel slightly more rewarded. They need that title and I'm not sure what it's going to be they, that sort of evergreen concept Hopefully they can create it, and make it an exclusive, and make all the money off of it. But right now, it's not there. So I'd be really curious to see what's the overall engagement with PlayStation VR over the overall sales. It's a very easy concept to buy. Because if you get to test out the PlayStation VR at a store, you're like, Holy shit, this actually works! Let me get that, bring it home. Alright. Where, where, where are the games? Where are the really, really good games? Resident Evil 7 is good though, but I guess that's neither here nor there nor here nor there. Moving on, uh, normally we'd save this for Pocket Talk, but because it's the only story about mobile devices, we'll just do it right here. Pokemon Go has hit yet another milestone with 650 million downloads. That's up 150 million from the 500 million downloads last September. That's the whole story. Moving on, now for some refreshing news. Accessory maker Dbrand has announced they are canceling their planned Nintendo Switch controllers and console skins. Wait, why is that good news? They just canceled their skins and accessories. Oh, please stop jumping to conclusions. I can I can explain. Uh, last week, the company revealed through a series of tweets that, it, that an adhesive would, de- would deteriorate the Joy-Cons controllers and console shell. Basically, it may look really bad when you peeled off the skins. Uh, Dbrand concluded their tweets by stating, quote, what does this mean? One, every Switch pre-order will be canceled and refunded, two, do not buy a skin for your Nintendo Switch, end quote. And just like that, with that series of tweets, dbrand has gone from a company I've never heard of, I do not recall ever hearing about dbrand, to a company that I can respect in some capacity. Because think about it, it's a brand new console. Oh man, uh, I want to do everything with this console. Oh, I'm going to get some more controllers. Oh, I'm going to get you know, a carrying case, an accessory case. Oh wow, they have skins for it. People will just buy whatever because it's a launch of a council and they could have released that and they could have gotten some shit for it But they could have done just fine and instead they're going you know what we spent all this research and development We're gonna eat the cost not you guys We're not releasing this it is not up to our standards that communicates they have standards and that they were not met here That also means that they uh That they actually care they are on the side of those consumers. So dbrand it's no name. It's a big name well, okay, that might be an exaggeration, but it's definitely a name. And finally, before we get onto the charts, last week's Game Developer Conference included many informative talks, but one in particular became heated. The CEO of TinyBuild, Alex Nietzsche Porchek, was... Uh, yeah, I practiced that name, by the way. Was part of a panel titled Fraud and Your Game Economy. Nietzsche Porchek commented on an abundance of game keys purchased with stolen credit cards before being resold on gray markets. Quote, Now there's more ways for them to wash or launder their money. There's platforms like K- Kinglin and G2A facilitating these guys to get and to sell the keys they have stolen. End quote. Whoa, so he threw down some shade. What's the big deal? Hold on there, buddy. During the Q&A portion of the panel, an employee of G2A, uh, Maris Merrick, questioned the validity of alex's claims quotes ladies and gentlemen i am actually from g2a.com i was directly involved with alex's case and i would like to dispel a few things first of all g2a.com does not work or does work with developers directly and any one of you can email me and let's address your codes because i was handling your emails you have provided not a single code end quote Uh, Nietzsche Porchik immediately dismissed Merrick, stating, you really gonna do this at GDC? Before having the moderator step in. Uh, TinyBuild and G2A have a contentious relationship as TinyBuild has repeatedly claimed G2A resells keys purchased with stolen credit cards. These purchases are then marked as fraudulent, requiring TinyBuild to refund the cardholder while G2A can freely sell those keys. And in case you're not following it, let's try that once more, because I know this seems kind of confusing. I just stole your credit card, not literally Relax. I didn't just do, but I just stole your credit card. I go to tinybill.com or wherever I go and I buy all these keys and I'm stacking keys. And then, uh, you know, I sell them to G2A and when the credit card holder or, you know, Visa goes, Oh, these are fraudulent. They need to get the money back. Right? So they go to tinybill and they're like, Hey, yep. Give the money back. Give the money back because that's not cool, man. And then they go, all right, here's the money back. And I guess we'll get our keys back, but nope those keys are out in the open They are out in the wild and they are valid keys and if someone you know uh, Activates one of those keys. It's not like tiny Build can take it back I mean, maybe they could in some way or form, but at the end of the day they they lost a sale They just gave away free games that they didn't mean to and that that sucks that that really really sucks for them As so for this g2a guy. I can't blame him for wanting to defend himself uh, But The problem is is that this was a panel He must have known that guy was gonna be there. He saw the title of the panel and and waited for that Q&A segment. And that is, uh, that's kinda stalkerish. It it is not cool. Um, As for G2A, they, these allegations have been going on for years and that website does feel kind of sketchy. It's like, oh, this game's been up for two days. Really? $30? That's odd. And I'm not saying every website that discounts new games is is shady. Sometimes they are willing to give up a portion of their profit just to get in more users. So so that, you know, if you go to, um, there's a bunch of different places. But G2A, they've always been associated with being mad sketchy. And, uh, you know, allegedly. I just gotta cover my ass right there. Alright, now let's get on to the chart part of the chart park. Uh, (laughs) we have the top 10 best-selling games over in the UK. Number 10 was was Forza Horizon 3. Number 9 was Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. Number 8 was Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. Number 7 was Rocket League. Number 6 was Battlefield 1. Number 5 was Sniper Elite 4. Number 4 was FIFA 17. Number 3 was Grand Theft Auto 5. Number 2 was Halo Wars 2. Uh, And Number 1 was For Honor. By the way, I did play through all of Halo Wars 2, but with the Switch and, um, um, Horizon Zero Dawn coming out, uh, I was not able to, uh, review it, uh, Halo Wars 2, not a good game, do not recommend, <laughs> so there you go, there's the easy button, you don't have to watch an episode of Worth It, just, nope, not good, very boring single player, atrociously boring single player, and just kind of a, the systems are just, they, they have a bunch of systems, but it's not very... It's not very easy to interact with them. I just felt like I was just mushing giant armies together and walking away victorious, even online. So, I don't know. Uh, Let's go to the Cursed Land of Trains, known as Japan, to find out where the 10 best-selling games of the week go over there. Number 10 was Resident Evil 7 Biohazard on the PlayStation 4. Number 9 was Dragon Quest Monsters Joker 3 Professionnel on the 3DS. Number 8 was For Honor on the PlayStation 4. Number 7 was The Witch and the Hundred Knight 2 on the PlayStation 4. Is that... Yeah, I didn't even know they were making a sequel for that. That's cool. Number six is Pokemon Sun and Pokemon Moon on the 3DS. Number five is Harukana Ru Toki no Naka. D3 Ultimate, you know it's the Ultimate version, so it's worth it, Uh, on the PlayStation Vita. Number four was Neo on the PlayStation 4. Number three was Super Robot Wars on the PlayStation Vita. Number two was Super Robot Wars on the PlayStation 4. I'm sorry, that's Super Robot Wars 5. Gotta get that correct. Or maybe it's V. You can never tell with Japanese games. And number one is Nier Automata on the PlayStation 4, but what? What are the best-selling consoles over in Japan? Well, I'm very excited to talk about this. Let's start off from the top and go all the way down to the bottom. Starting off with a PlayStation 4 with 37,008. Yes, really, eight units. Uh, new 3DS LL with 15,984. PlayStation Vita with 10,704. PlayStation 4 Pro with 6,481. 2DS with 4,303. New 3DS with 1,254. PlayStation 3 with 505. Xbox One with 469. And in last place, the Wii U with 464, which means after seven weeks in last place, Xbox One shifted gears. They drove right past the Wii U. We're going to start keeping track of this. The Xbox One is not in last place. Congratulations. You're doing a bang up job, 469 units. Look out everybody, but that's gonna have to do it for the chart park the land where money grows on trees, baby Okay Just real quick Zelda you can cook food. There's an amazing cooking song in that game. It's only like four seconds long. I got stuck in my head It's so good There was a non sequitur for you But before we close out the show, it's time to take a look back at the week that was 10 years ago and beyond. It's a little something we like to call Strong History. We're going to be talking about all the anniversaries for the upcoming week in video games. 10 years ago on the DS, Wario Master of Disguise was released. Uh, I have absolutely no idea what this game is. I keep up with games. I do not recall this Wario game whatsoever. On the PlayStation 2 and PlayStation Portable, Burnout Dominator was released. This is a spin-off of the Burnout series, which I actually played and have no recollection of either. <laughs> not the most memorable week, I guess. Well, what am I talking about? On the PlayStation 3, there was MotorStorm, one of the best-looking early PlayStation 3 games. Does it hold up to this day? Not at all. But uh, it was very impressive back then. Of course, Evolution Studios, no longer with us pour out one for them and uh, lastly in 10 years ago on the xbox 360 tom clancy's ghost recon advanced warfighter 2 now 11 years ago this week tom clancy's ghost recon advanced warfighter part one was released on the xbox 360 they really took their time with those sequels um i believe one of those actually got a perfect 10 from game trailers i believe it was part two but part one was considered a, kind of a disappointment very a lot of people were very hyped for that game and that just didn't pan out. And on the PlayStation 2, Onimusha Dawn of Dreams was released, which, uh, in case you don't know, the Onimusha series was like Resident Evil, but with Samurai's super good series. Uh, they had the original trilogy, and this was, for all intents and purposes, Part 4. And then after that, the series was over. They made a Smash Bros. ripoff, and that's been it. I really hope they bring back uh, Onimusha, because even though I like the game Neo, it's not Onimusha. It's its own thing, and it's great for what it is, but... I want me another Onimusha. And also, on the PSP, Pursuit Force was released. One of my all-time favorite handheld games, Pursuit Force, on the PSP. The way this game works is it is a third-person racing game, shooter. I know that sounds confusing. Stick with me here. You're driving a car, shooting a machine gun, and another car that's trying to escape you, right? Once you get close enough to the car, you can jump off you can jump out of your car onto the roof of their car and then start shooting the guys inside of that car and then jump into the car and drive up to the next car. It's real stupid. It's real fun. I love pursuit force. There were two of those games. I don't believe. Yeah. It's only been on the PSP. Uh, So if you ever get a chance, highly recommend those games. Super fun. Just throw away fun. Dumb fun. Awesome. 13 years ago on the PlayStation 2 and the Xbox, The Suffering was released. A really cool survival horror third-person shooter that took place in a prison where all of the uh, uh, all of the the monsters were basically zombies that were inspired by uh, capital punishment. So if it was Lethal Injection, the monster would have needles that was trying to attack you. And if it was the electric chair, the person's head would be shooting electricity. It was really uh, disturbing. It was cool. It was really cool. It did get a sequel. Uh, I believe it only had two sequels. It was Ties That Bind, I believe was the name of the sequel. Uh, Also, 13 years ago, on the GameCube, Metal Gear Solid The Twin Snakes (sighs) Silicon Knights rendition of the original Metal Gear Solid game using the engine from Metal Gear Solid 2. This is a bad remake. This is a bad remake. Here's why. First of all, the original Metal Gear Solid was designed as sort of a top-down experience. Well, they took that and they made it a third-person experience that you can also go into first-person mode Give it all these advanced techniques, but that doesn't really work. That's like adding a first-person mode to uh, Crash Bandicoot. It's like what why why is this here? This, this is unnecessary, you know, and It just didn't feel right. They added all of these cutscenes Like if you think Metal Gear Solid 4 is bad with the cutscenes, which of course, you know, they're very long cutscenes But if, at least they're entertaining here, they just keep doing all this wire foo Matrix-inspired stuff. It's goofy. It just doesn't... And if I'm saying something in Metal Gear is too goofy, you know that's bad. So, not a fan. Not a fan. Not a fan. Also, 13 years ago in Japan, the original Monster Hunter was launched on the PlayStation 2. I actually played this when it came out in America, because I was working at Blockbuster, and I got myself a early copy, and I was like, oh, this is, this is pretty good. This is pretty good. Uh, of course, Monster Hunter is now, like, the biggest thing in Japan. Even though it's waning in popularity. So look out Capcom. 14 years ago on the PlayStation 2, Zone of the Enders, the second runner. Now this is some good Kojima stuff right here. Uh, This is the uh, third person mech robot shooter. Fantastic game. While the first one was pretty light on features, the sequel had a gigantic story and it had some amazing cel-shaded graphics. There was an HD re-release on the PlayStation 3. I don't know if it ever came to the 360. But I know it was on the PlayStation 3. I do recommend you check that out just to see some of the, the cel shaded graphics in part two. It's, it's so cool, so cool. Uh, 15 years ago, on the original Xbox, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 was released. I only put this in here because people always forget. Pro Skater 3 was on a lot of different consoles. It was on the Xbox, it was on the GameCube. I think it was even on the PlayStation 1. Don't forget that. Uh, 16 years ago, a personal, personal favorite of mine. I can't help it, I love this game. Squaresoft's The Bouncer, which was this game that was uh, announced very early alongside the PlayStation 2. It was supposed to have all these destructible environments and all this, these crazy graphics. At the end of the day, it just became a pretty good 3D beat-em-up game. I actually played through The Bouncer, which is only like, you know, three hours long. It's a very short game, but I played through it maybe five or six times. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I even played the uh, the challenge rooms. What can I say? The Bouncer... I enjoyed it even if no one else did. Uh, 17 years ago on the Dreamcast in the United States and Canada Choo Choo Rocket was released and man Choo Choo Rocket I believe this was the first online game on the Dreamcast in America I believe it was Uh, it was a cool little puzzle game where you're trying to get your mice to go to a certain goal kind of like lemmings but it was very fast-paced and and there were these mice um, there were these cats that were trying to eat them and you could even play online with people and do like a versus mode And it's a really simple, cool puzzle game. Just surprised that it hasn't made a comeback yet. I'm sure there's a mobile rendition out there somewhere, but I want more Choo Choo Rocket in my life. Besides, just a fun name to say, Choo Choo Rocket. And 24 years ago on the Sega CD, The Terminator was released. Not a good game. It is based off the film, but my God, listen to that soundtrack. It is awesome. And 29 years ago in Japan on the Sega Master System, Alex Kidd, The Lost Stars was released. Now, I have actually gone back and played a lot of those Alex Kids games. And uh, let me tell you, The Lost Stars uh, has the worst audio I've ever heard in a video game. And I have played a lot of games with bad audio. Now, I'm not saying all the audio in uh, Alex Kid: The Lost Stars is bad. And by the way, in case you don't know, it, it was an arcade port where Alex had to run and collect things. And there was a timer. Pretty generic. Not a great game. But every time he would get killed, they... I don't know where they got this audio from. It was basically like a eight-year-old screaming into, <laughs> into like a, a, I don't even know. Like the way that they compress and process this kid screaming. Like, like, this like, like that. That's what it sounds like. It's so unnerving and awful. It's like, why? Why is this in here? Why couldn't you just have like a sound effect that would be like, beep, 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 beep. good enough for me. So every time you die, and you will die a lot because this is just a game where you have to memorize everything because everything can kill you. Uh, it was, uh, it was terrible to hear that kid scream over and over and over again. Combined with very frustrating gameplay. Not a good game. And a very sad note to end. Strong history! That was a good segment. Well, we need to wrap this up so I can go play myself some more Zelda. So, uh, what do you say we close out the show? Remember... You can contact us, PressureCast at gmail.com, at VGA Dumb on Twitter, and 954 947 7377 for your text and voicemails. So please do that. Or you can also go to Facebook.com slash VGA Dumb and leave a question there. Give it a try, I guess. I don't know. I- I'm posting a lot of links to videos in case you want to be in the know. You can go and like that page. Uh, what's going to be going on this week? Well, I'm going to be trying to get out a review for Zelda Breath of the Wild. And then I know I'm going to be getting copies of *Near Automata* and, um, you know, Tom Clancy's *Wildlands*. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do there because it doesn't. We'll have to wait and see. It doesn't seem feasible for me to be able to finish *Near Automata* before uh, *Mass Effect Andromeda* comes out. So, but uh, if you do want to listen to one of my reviews and watch one of my reviews, I do recommend that you go and check out my uh, review of *Horizon Zero Dawn*. It's a good one. I think you'll really like it. Anyway, that's going to have to do it here. Uh, It's been a real fun week. Uh, The hype for the Nintendo Switch, it's over. The system is out. And so the hype is dead. But it will always live in our hearts. Just like the Pressure Cast. Because the Pressure Cast is forever. Bye, everybody.